Lots of amazing players out there, but when you talk to the best players about who blows their minds, one name keeps popping up. Billy Contreras is only in his 30s, but his playing has been raising eyebrows and dropping jaws for over 20 years. This is episode 62 of Electric Violin Shop's Rockstar Violinist podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bell. I got a chance to catch up with Billy by Zoom at his house in Nashville. He's wandering around outside while we chat, and you might hear some, like, farm animal noises and maybe the occasional Zoom glitch, but that's life in a pandemic, right? While you're here, please do us a favor and subscribe, like, and comment on whatever platform you're listening on and share widely. That helps us a lot. You know, I'm totally digging this tune, Hot House, and I could listen to this all day. I promise we'll come back to it in a little bit, but first... Let's hear from Billy Contreras, rock star violinist. So you started playing pretty young, right? Yeah, I started when I was uh, when I was six years old. Yeah, so fairly young. I know a lot of people start younger than that. Um, yeah, I got my son is four and my daughter's two. Well, she's about to be two. So trying to get them both going a little bit. They got a little 32nd and a 16th. And, oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah. But, yeah, I started when I was six. So, yeah, fairly young. And then, uh, so you were Suzuki? Yeah, I did, Um, I did uh, uh, like, maybe about five or six months of Suzuki with my sister. And um, we both took it together. And then she ended up quitting... And, uh, and I really, I had wanted to play fiddle, but, uh, but my mom wanted me to, she wanted to buck dance. And, uh, so like for whatever, they're like, well, you know, we'll get you uh, fiddle lessons if you'll buck dance too. So I grew up doing some buck dancing for a while. And, um, and, but yeah, so then I went to a couple, I forget a couple places, but I went to the fiddle contest down in the city and uh and some people there had recommended like doing suzuki is a good way to start before you get into fiddling so um so yeah i did that for about half a year and then just really wanted to do fiddling so after that i took with different fiddle teachers and that sort of thing but yeah so you're from st joseph michigan right yes that's where i was born in st joseph michigan and uh, that's where my mom's family's from. They're uh, they're all from around that part of Michigan. And um, yeah, we moved to Tennessee when I was about five for my dad's work. And uh, and that's when I started picking up the fiddle. And 
grew up in Franklin, Tennessee, and that's where our fiddle contest was, and a lot of music around there. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. My my dad played piano, and my older brother played music, and uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, yeah. St. Joe and that my mom's family is from a town called Bridgman. It's a really pretty place, like on the on the beach on Lake Michigan, and uh, you know, real big beaches and big sand dunes and nice forests. And uh, yeah, we grew up in a a little log, well, kind of a big log cabin in the woods right after the dunes there. And um, yeah, my aunt had a fruit farm up there, and uh, yeah, it's a really pretty place. Yeah, I lived in Cassopolis, Michigan for a couple of years, just just down the road from Bridgman. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I said, like St. Joseph, Michigan, I used to live over there. Yeah. But uh, for, yeah, Franklin, Tennessee is probably a little hotter music scene than, uh, than yeah. southwestern Michigan. Yeah, it's a pretty place. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, there's, yeah, man, just, uh, I was thinking about that when I, when I was the first kind of stuff I did in Franklin was after I got kind of into the more fiddling, I remember I used to go play every down. Uh, I don't even know what it would have been. It was uh, some type of like place where like, you know, older people maybe get together like once a week or I don't know if it was like some type of community house or something, but I would get together with these guys. They called themselves the over the hill gang. And they would just get together every Thursday and play music and tunes. And so that's kind of the first thing I remember playing music with people was just going and doing that. And, you know, they played a lot of, you know, kind of um, old timey singing songs and stuff. And uh, but, yeah, definitely a lot of music in Nashville and all around the area. Yeah, no doubt. So you must have spent a lot of time with that fiddle in your hands huh? as a kid. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, man, I, I grew up just really wanting to play all the time. And I didn't really like practicing, I didn't like playing music with people. So, um, and luckily, there's a lot of opportunities around Nashville to do that. So, yeah, just as much as I could to play music with everybody. And uh, me and my older brother played music a lot together. And did all did all the like kind of fiddle contests around the area and uh blue grass festivals yeah and then you know after after a few years um started getting more into you know um some prof- professional type situations and stuff but yeah definitely man yeah play as much as possible and jam, jam as much as possible so you started in your first band what around 10 years old or so yeah, so after I uh, um, I took Suzuki and I took from a couple different fiddle teachers, um, Jim Wood and Craig Duncan, and then I met Buddy Spiker when I was eight years old and uh, started taking some lessons with him. And uh, after a year or two, um, I started playing in his band. I think when I was 10, we started playing down at this place called uh, Wolfie's on Broadway in Nashville. And we played there for about every Tuesday for about six years. And uh, and that, w- that was really where I learned how to play music, just getting the opportunity to come back to the same situation week after week and kind of 
you know, pick up little things each week and try new things out and uh, get to listen to lots of really great players in that band, uh, Joe Manuel, Paul Kramer, Tommy Hannum, Jim White, Buddy Sons, David and Matt, um, a lot of other musicians too. Those were some of the main ones. But yeah, so just getting to listen to them play every week and try and learn how they approach music and then getting to learn a lot of tunes because um, it was like a three or three and a half hour gig. So you play a lot of different tunes, learned a lot of like swing songs and jazz standards and uh, some country tunes. And uh, yeah, just a really fun time. And a lot of a lot of people will come down and uh, set in and sing, you know, different kind of like country stars and stuff. And uh, yeah, so that was that was a real, real fun real fun opportunity and uh we'll definitely go to school the next day reeking of uh, cigarette smoke (laughs) this is a tune called move from buddy and billy's record by request we're going to hear more about this album later but we're going to listen to a few of the songs as we go
Yeah, you think about putting a ten year old in a bar band and yeah. I mean your your parents were uh, pretty open minded, huh? Yeah, yeah. They definitely yeah, my you know, my parents were kinda like those uh you know, like you know, it's fine, like whatever you want to do, but if you're gonna do it, you know, try and do it like really well. And so yeah, they were all about, you know, um, you know, making opportunities available to um to to learn more and you know experience different stuff so yeah definitely i think in a lot of ways too like kids are so smart and their brains they just are so plastic and they learn so fast i think we underestimate kids a lot and we actually hold them back by not pushing them or or letting them push themselves harder you know what i mean yeah definitely man i think that's so true and i always you know, uh, I always kind of, I'm, I teach some and my approach is kind of like, um, you know, uh, uh, well, that's kind of like, I feel like, um, you know, two things that I, I enjoyed learning about when I was younger was working with buddy. Um, it's, he would never really like, at least I don't, maybe he did, but it didn't feel like it, you know, kind of like, uh, he wouldn't really slow down for you um like in a good way you know and um so yeah i really really enjoyed that because you just kind of had to hang on and you might not get something or understand something but uh, but just being around someone you know and i got to spend a lot of time with buddies so after a while you know after you're around what they're interested in for enough time you kind of start to you know get the basics of it and so that was, I always thought that was a good learning experience, just getting thrown into something where, uh, you're definitely like, uh, um, just kind of, yeah, trying to hang on. And, um, and then also, yeah, in that, in that weekly gig, that's where I, I learned how to improvise a lot. Cause, um, you know, buddy just, it'd be like your time for your solo or whatever. And so you just got to go, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, again, it's kind of like, you know, um, I guess there's that sometimes when kids are learning to swim, I know my mom said grew up like Michigan, like, I think they just took her down there and like threw her in the water, you know? And, um, so yeah, it's like, so I, I definitely like that approach to music and, uh, and it's definitely music, such a hands-on, uh, learning thing that, um, yeah, I think that works really good. But, uh, but one thing I feel like that really did for me, like, working with buddy it uh it really made me kind of uh gravitate to and really like just the aspect of music that deals with like uh problem solving and uh kind of like creative thinking and like how you like hear something and you're like oh i don't know what that is so then you got to like try and figure out like what it is and then you got to try and figure out how to play it and then how to like create ideas with it so, so I'm, I've always been drawn to that part of music, just the kind of fascination with like uh, solving mysteries or like problem solving. And I find that really fun and I really like challenges in music. And um, that that the process of like, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, finding solutions to like musical problems, you could say, I find really like enjoyable. And um, I think part of that is just kind of spending a lot of time with Buddy. But yeah, I think you're definitely right, man. I think, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think throwing as much as you can at young kids is like really good 
for one, because like you say, they, they just learn so quickly. And, um, and I know, too, that sometimes, like, with our son, it's like, maybe, like, for it's, like, really difficult for a while, but I feel like it's like a bell curve where it's, like, you know, um, it's, like, slow, 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 and then, like, got it all of a sudden. So, like, yeah, I feel like I think that that's really good in music. Yeah, just kind of um, the other the other reason I think that's good, you know, like kind of giving more to young kids and you might think is good um, is because like so many concepts and music takes so long to learn about, you know, that I feel like a lot of concepts and music is just about like FaceTime with it. So it's like whenever you it's not about like getting it real quickly or like but it's about being exposed to it and then just like slowly developing that relationship so that's why i feel like too you know um you know kids learning about um, all kinds of concepts at a young age that may seem like you know more advanced than like might be like customary in like you know musical like society education um i think is really good because i th- i think back too and it's like a lot of the concepts that i was exposed to at a really young age i have a much better understanding of than um than concepts i learned about as like you know a late teenager or like maybe even my 20s so so yeah i think part of young not that you have to like master it or something, but just that you can start that relationship and uh, and it can progress for like a lot longer. And uh, but yeah, I definitely think you're right that uh, man, kids kids definitely soak up so much and uh, and are definitely yeah underestimated. I think with their with their learning ability sometimes. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing too is that if the ultimate goal is to produce musicians who can be live performers we spend so much time in practice rooms instead of on stage it's like if you want to be a live performer you know how you get good at performing you perform yeah for sure definitely yeah that that's man that's so true and uh yeah i kind of man i kind of think that's like the same with like regular school you know like like i think i'm like man i spent like 12 years you know, or I guess maybe I actually spent, didn't spend quite that much, but like, you know, like sitting in a desk in a room and I feel like, man, I feel like I really, I mean, I know I learned a lot, but like, I feel like I could have learned a lot more having like hands-on experience with all those subjects in school. You know, I know some of them maybe aren't as much like that, but, uh, but yeah, definitely. I feel like music. Yeah. If you can, um, yeah, that I feel like, yeah, you definitely got to have that, um, that that live performance and just getting there's so much you, you can't learn unless it's all happening in real time and yeah real music is just one of those like all aspects of it are constantly kind of changing and evolving as you're doing it so yeah i feel like uh yeah that's definitely definitely really important here's another tune from by request called oklahoma stomp
So you went to uh, University of Miami for music school, right? Yeah, I went there. So I went to um, I went to college when I was sixteen, um, and I went there for one year. So I think I did my freshman and sophomore year of high school, and then I went to University of Miami, and I did one year there, and then um, and then I, I left school and started touring with uh, my brother and uh, my brother's band and his wife at the time band that they had that was signed to Columbia Records. But yeah, Miami was a really, really great experience. And uh, yeah, just super fun. Um, my favorite things about it, like you're saying there, you know, a minute ago, like basically what I remember about the school is all the music I played with people. I honestly don't remember a whole lot about like any of the classes I took or really any of my lessons but I do remember like all the ensembles I played with all the jams I had with people and the practice and I would go out usually like every couple times a week and set in with different bands there was one group of guys I'd set in with every Wednesday at this place called Bougainvillea's and that was really fun they'd play the first set and then I'd join them for the second and third set and um yeah, just super fun, just getting to, you know, play music for hours into the night. And uh, so, yeah, I did did a lot of that extracurricular um, jams and gigs outside of school. I played with a jam band called the Butterfly Bandwagon, and that was really fun, kind of exploring, like, a different, you know, not as much of the jazz scene down there, but kind of the, kind of, uh, like, hippie rock scene. And uh, mm-hmm. played in a couple different bands like that. Uh, another band, I think, called Mr. Barracuda. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, a lot of fun music down there. I used to play some with a guy named Simon Sauls, who was a really great acoustic guitar player doing kind of like gypsy jazz. And, um, yeah, just a really fun time. And the guy who there was, his name was Glenn Basham. He's a great classical violinist and also plays jazz. And, um, yeah, so that was just really fun getting to hang around him. Um, such a great person. And, uh, yeah, and then just fun. Just Miami is, man, just a fun, beautiful city. All the, you know, uh, flora and fauna, all that kind of stuff. And But, yeah, really, really fun school. So you'd started, I mean, doing country fiddle stuff, right? And then in Nashville with, uh, with Buddy Spiker, that's kind of country and western swing and all that, right? Well, basically, like... I started, so I started with the Suzuki and then I got into like fiddle tunes and stuff. And when I met Buddy, the, I remember the first tune he taught me was a song called Whispering. And it's like an old jazz standard, the Dizzy Gillespie tune, grooving high as a contrafact over that. So he kind of like, he taught me So I think the reason why I went, actually, well, yeah, I'd met Buddy at, my dad had worked with a lady who worked some had a friend that worked for TNN, which was a Nashville network. And so they, they got me uh, available to go to the, this like Mark O'Connor heroes taping. And I think that's where I met buddy. And I told him, you know, like that I was taking with Jim and he was like, Oh, Jim can't ever do it. You know, come over for a lesson. And then my best pal when I was a little kid was this guy, Frazier Moss, who was, he was like the first person I had, you know, stay over the night. He was like a, he was probably like 80 years old or something. He was an old time Tennessee fiddler. And, um, 
and just, yeah, just a great fiddler and great person. And so we, I used to hang out with him a lot, go to all the festivals and fiddle contests. And, um, and so, and he would have jams at his house too, that I'd go to. And one time he had a jam there with him. And I think a guy named Charlie, I can't remember, Charlie Turner, who was like real good, uh, arch top guitar player. And then Buddy was also there. Um, it was over at, uh, his daughter, Maddie Sue's house, who he lived at, who Frazier lived at. And I think her boyfriend, Bill, was playing guitar. Um, but yeah, and so went over there. Buddy was there again. Uh, so yeah, I got to meet him again. And I thought I might have gone there. If I remember right, one reason was, uh, I think my fiddle teacher wouldn't teach me Orange Blossom Special. And... Um, so like so buddy would so uh but i also do remember the first song he taught me was whispering which is a jazz standard but yeah so to kind of get back your question um yeah started with the suzuki and fiddle tunes and then kind of got into like i guess you would just say like standards like american songbook standards it's mostly like from kind of the swing tradition so like uh just kind of old standards but you know uh, uh um, um yeah and, and also got a lot into western swing because that's what uh um and buddy's band kind of started started last i, I kind of like i got into like you know some little bit of jazz and a lot of western swing for a few years and then that kind of got me more into into jazz as well um and i was still doing some fiddling and some texas style fiddling i, I did like the texas style fiddling contest music uh like when i was probably like 9 10 11 and 12 and uh but by the time i was like 11 probably i was really like more interested in uh in jazz and stuff and then probably from when i was about 11 12 13 14 15 16 just probably focused on jazz and stuff so not a whole lot of country i never like Country's kind of weird as a fiddle player because um, it's a style that's so primarily based on vocals. And um, I find, like, vocal styles are harder to learn about in a way than instrumental styles because it's like you just don't get to play as much. But um, but I did do, like, I grew up playing sessions with Buddy. So, like, that's kind of where I was first exposed to country music and learning how to play that. He'd take me on a bunch of his sessions. I think I joined the Union when I was 12. Cause he would be using me on sessions and you got at that point, you really had to be in the union to do the sessions in Nashville. And, uh, yeah, so we'd go to a bunch of twin fiddle sessions with buddy for country stuff. And, uh, yeah, he'd always have to like, I'd be like falling asleep over in the corner and he'd be like poking me with the bow. Cause sometimes there's not a lot happening, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, you might be sitting there for like 15, 20 minutes, but, um, but yeah, so definitely, um was exposed to country at an early age and you know mainly through sessions with buddy and then i didn't really play a lot of like straight ahead country until probably i was in my 20s and um and have definitely done a lot of country different types of country music over the last you know 15 years but uh i really i really like the country stuff because i feel like it's more than any other style. It like draws from so many styles. So like, 
I, I find that really fun that you can go to a country gig and you might play like some jazz tunes, some blues tunes, some fiddle tunes, some bluegrass tunes, uh, some country tunes, um, you know, just like uh, even some pop tunes. It's just real nice because you get it's such a kind of uh, intersection of so many different genres and uh, which is which is really funny. It, I mean, sorry, really fun. Um, you know, talking about more like the old school kind of country stuff. Here's some audio from a video that was shot in a hallway at Billy's Camp in Nashville in 2008. You're going to have to excuse the background noise, but it's totally worth it. This is Buddy and Billy and a bass player.
So what was it that turned you on to jazz? Was it just being around the guys that you were around or were you hearing records or? Man, I think, I think, well, one of it was that Buddy was, you know, really into that. And so just hanging out with Buddy, just, um, you know, doing that. And I really like Western swing a lot. And, you know, and that's pretty similar to jazz. Um, and then also my older brother played piano. And uh, by the time I was like, 10 he was getting i'd say pretty heavy into jazz he went to university of tennessee when he was 18 he's eight years older than me um and uh and studied with donald brown on piano so i think just yeah you know uh having Cruz, my brother kind of being into it and then hanging out with buddy a lot and then also just was like um i think i really like just like styles where you could improvise a lot you know and, um, and that was kind of like the main feature of it was just uh, instruments improvising. And, um, yeah, and it's, I don't know. I don't know why. I, yeah, I was really drawn to it. I couldn't tell you. Um, I think it was just, yeah, just uh, that like just a fun opportunity of getting to play a lot and make up the stuff as you play it. Um, and as far as like going out and doing it, it's probably like you know one of the more accessible things that you can do that in within um so yeah and then i kind of just got into it and then you know just yeah just kind of just into it and trying to get better and learn more about it learn more tunes and all that stuff and so then at what point how did you bump into rachel barton pine so rachel i met at um so i went to mark o'connor's camp fiddle camps when i was a little kid and then I started kind of helping Buddy do stuff there when I was a little older, and um, and I think I met Rachel when I was fourteen at uh, at Mark's camp, and because um, she was teaching there, and uh, and yeah, so we we kind of just hit it off, and you know I think she saw a lot of potential in me, and um, so she she was. Um, you know, uh, um, like incredibly gracious with her time. And, uh, and, you know, basically like, um, you know, if I could fly up to Chicago, she would teach me. So I went up there every couple of weeks, um, for a couple of years. And I think, I think from when I was 14 until I went to Miami, um, but yeah, so got to work on a bunch of technique. I think that was the first time I ever like used a shoulder rest. Um, and uh, played through some, uh, you know, violin concertos, and yeah, it was a re- it was really fun. Um, just learning a lot about music from her, and also um, getting to hang out with her and Greg in Chicago. And you know, they take me to do cool stuff, fun stuff, you know, in the city. And um, and also getting exposed. I was never really around like the classical community at all, so it was really fun to kind of. Um, yeah, just kind of, you know, rub shoulders with that some, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a yeah incredible incredible experience, and uh, yeah, it's awesome. I promised we'd get back to Hot House, so here's a little more of that tune. Thank you. 
So then uh, after, say, you did a, a year at Miami and then you're back to Nashville, right? Yeah, back to Nashville and, uh, uh, well, yeah, something like that. I kind of lived over with my brother and his wife over in Knoxville for a while because I played in their band. And so I think when I was playing with their band a lot, I would kind of, I think I might have lived with them for a while and uh, then kind of went back and forth somewhat. Um, trying to remember. Yeah, I kind of like probably bounced around a few different places, but they were on the road a lot. So I play. I mainly played with them for a while. So um, yes, yeah, been a lot of time over like in the Knoxville area because that's where they were based out of during that kind of couple years. And that was that was a really really fun band. There's great players in that band. Robin, the singer, she was awesome, and she wrote a lot of the songs. My brother Cruz, he played mandolin in that band, and he was really good on mandolin. Um, Steve Kowalczyk, who's like a great jazz guitar player, he played in that band. He teaches out somewhere in, I think, University of Colorado. And then uh, and then Taylor Coker, who's a great upright bass player, played. It was just a really, really fun band, and uh, we had a great time. And, uh, yeah, really good musicians. And, uh, yeah, we cut... Uh, the first, her first record that was on uh, Columbia up at Bearsville, where the band cut a lot of their classic stuff at, and uh, so yeah, it had a lot of, and it, they were signed to Columbia out of New York, so we got to go up there, and that was kind of fun, getting to see some of the music industry side from the like New York perspective, and um, yeah, but that that was a fun time, and then kind of after that, I kind of came back to Nashville. Um, you know, when I was doing some other stuff and play with a couple other different road bands and just a bunch of different kind of different kind of variety of stuff. But, um, yeah. So you started releasing, I mean, we've talked a lot about live performance, but you've done a lot of studio work too. And, uh, you started releasing albums like pretty young, right? As a teenager. Yeah, I did like, I did a fiddle album when I was like eight, I think think that buddy produced and mark wrote mark o'connor wrote the liner notes for 
And um, and then I did like a Western swing record when I was, or no, maybe I did that fiddle record when I was nine. I can't remember. Then I, I think was I did that a wild Western fiddler. Swing. Yeah. And then I did a Western swing record when I was like nine or no, sorry, eleven or twelve, and with some of the like uh, Texas Playboys. Because also around that time I used to go down to Texas and tour around some with like the remaining. Uh, Texas Playboys, Bob Wills band, who like Tommy Allsup, um was kind of leading then, and that that was really fun too. That was a fun, a lot of fun experiences, and um, uh, but yeah, and then I did a couple like jazz demos when I was a teenager, um, and then that's really all I've done. I actually like hadn't really cut any albums since. I was 12, I guess. I mean, I've done like, I've, I did like one kind of, um, kind of, I've done a couple like at home kind of projects. Me and my wife, Amanda, we've done a couple CDs. Um, I did one kind of my own stuff, oh, maybe six or seven years ago. Um, and then recently I did do, me and Buddy did a couple records of like uh, twin fiddle jazz stuff. So, and we the first one came out really good. Um, it's called By Request. And um, and the second one, Dueling Bows, isn't quite as good. I don't have any of those CDs. Actually, I think I sold out all of them. But, um, but yeah, I hadn't really recorded a lot of music. I think one reason why I hadn't ever is because I play on a lot of sessions and stuff. And, um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm always recording music for other people. You know, I've, I've done, I do a lot of that on a regular basis and I, I really, really, really love doing that. And, um, I think that kind of like, to me, that like solidify, uh, the whole like problem solving part of music, like really nicely. Cause it's like, you go in, you have no idea like what's going to go on. And then like you hear it and like immediately you're like, you know, like, um deducing like textures rhythms architectures forms harmonies um all these different things of like how you can fit into it and you know like give it some more momentum in some direction so i I find that really really fun and um yeah and also because like you know there's like you also have the um the that's it's a it's a lot like improvising it's not exactly the same but it is in the way of that like you only have a limited amount of time to make good decisions and so Mm. i find that part of it fun too you know you can take your time but uh but you kind of got i do a lot of like string stuff where i have like octave violins and a bunch of different fiddles and uh so yeah arranging on the spot is like really fun and i feel that feel like that really um is that that kind of like uh you know um observing deducing problem solving is like really fun in that regards i've I've been done a lot of that stuff last couple years and and, um and and like we were talking about earlier i've really noticed with that um because i didn't really do as much like like uh string work maybe like five or six years ago but that's kind of been more what I've done the last couple of years than like single fiddle work. And, um, and also, but I've, I've noticed, yeah, you know, 
you can practice like all you want, but like um, getting in the studio, getting enough time of doing those type of sessions over and over, you just like pick up little things each time that like, oh, this worked really well. Oh, this didn't work really well. And yeah, so after doing it enough times, I feel like now I've really got some, you know, kind of fun momentum with like ideas I can play around with when I go in somewhere and kind of have, you know, some options like, oh, I could, you know, maybe go this direction or this direction. He just talked about putting strings on other people's tunes in the studio. So here's an example of one. This is Started Over by Riley Downing.
um, but yeah, as far as my own re- records, I'd like to record stuff. I kind of just get lazy about it. Partly, it's so expensive. I, I, I like where I am just in my life. It's like, well, and been for the last you know fifteen years. Um, I can't really merit spending a bunch of money on a recording of mine as opposed to like using it for other stuff, you know? Mm. So like, I know it's probably not a good, um, you know, reason, but, uh, but that's one big reason. Um, and then the other one is like, uh, music it might take me like a half a year or something i'll have like a brand new set of songs or arrangements and then up until you know obviously i hadn't done anything this last year but um but before that you know i'd kind of get a set and uh you know play it a little bit live get it sounding really good and then that's when you should record it right like when it's like when it's at the like the peak of the life cycle of the music and uh but then I'm like, I'll just be like, yeah, really into it and play. And then about, you know, not too long after the peak, that life cycle hits, I'll be like, okay. And basically I'll just like kind of put that to the side and then like work on another set of music. And I've done, I've done this for like so long now. And I know each time I do that, I should record it. But, um, but I hadn't. And uh, I, I also one thing I'm like when I do get around to recording some record at some point, I also like the idea of having a lot of material to ch- choose from, so you can really piece together the right like landscape of the record and such. So um, so I don't I don't really mind it like that. Um, and I'm not I'm also like I just have always like my whole career has been like playing music for other people, doing sessions, playing in other people's bands. So I actually didn't really didn't lead my own. I did do my own stuff a lot when I was a kid, like up until I was about 16 for like from 10 to 16. I did a lot of my own gigs and shows and played like jazz festivals and that kind of stuff. But, uh, but, um, but I've, yeah, I've just spent so much of my time working for other people. And, uh, and I also, I'm not a big fan of touring sometimes, like I did a, I played a couple of years of my own band. That's like kind of the first time I really led my own group was I forget when I would have started, but uh, but I did that for a couple of years, and uh, it was just like like about three blocks from my house. So it was like I was like, oh, I can handle this, you know. And uh, I was like, I don't think I can go to the other side of town though. But but, um, but yeah, and uh, and that that was really fun. It was a great learning experience. Just like just that whole thing like kind of regularly leading your own band how you put together sets of music how you keep the music interesting what type of tunes you need all that kind of stuff of like formulating the set and you know keys tempos meters like the emotional characteristics of the tune uh the kind of the shape of the music um all that stuff was really fun and uh, also interesting because it makes you kind of have to write certain things. You're like, oh, I need this type of tune. So can I write something like this? Um, but that was a that was a really great experience. And a bunch of that music uh, is on this like uh, thing called archive. What is it called? Archive.org, I think. Archives.org, something like that. And um, and so I actually have a bunch of like live shows up there of 
a band I had called Billy and the Boys, which did it was kind of like a bluegrass jazz jazz fusion band of like half original music and half uh, original arrangements. And then there's a bunch of live shows of a uh, I did a trio for a year playing electric mandolin and fiddles. So there's a bunch of shows of that. Some all free music from a night. Some uh some uh jazz shows. Some kind of rock shows. And then I'd worked up a whole for a half year. I just did like classical music every Monday. So there's a you know handful of shows that are all just like classical tunes, but done like in a electric mandolin jazz trio setting. And sorry, my cat's kind of uh kind of getting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a bunch of live shows up on archive.org or whatever it's called. And then I think there's some stuff on YouTube too. My friend Kate, she came out and videoed like the last 10 shows of Billy and the Boys. So some of that stuff's up there. And uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm like a bad person when it comes to like uh, promotion and, uh, and even, even less than that, just like, uh, um, just like getting product and stuff. I'm like, man, I'm just, yeah, I'm just terrible at that stuff. But, uh, yeah, sometime though, hopefully maybe I'll put out a record here one of these days. Uh, so if you had a, a couple of songs that you would say are, are sort of, somebody's going to listen to those couple songs to really get an idea of like your soul and, and what you're feeling in music, what would you say would be some like the perfect songs for people to listen to and really get a hold of who you are? Well, I would say, hmm, that's a little tricky because, well, yeah, hmm, I would say, uh, I like. I like, uh, there's a couple tunes, you can find them either on YouTube or archive.org, a couple of ballads that I wrote, one's called, called uh, Clouds of the Last Light, one's called uh, Twilight, I really like those, um, like I feel like they're really pretty tunes, and um, yeah, so I feel like that's one thing that uh, I would, I guess, you know, would be... Okay, go, Kitty. You gotta get out of here. Starting to bite and scratch. Um, but uh, yeah, I like those tunes a lot because they're really pretty. I think, um, and they're also original tunes. So I, I like trying to do like original music a lot. He just mentioned Twilight. This is a live cut of that tune from Archive.org.
Probably the fa my favorite thing that I've I've been a part of is probably me and Buddy's record called By Request. I think you can actually mm. buy it on CD Baby, the digital version. Um, but I really I really like that a lot. Here is the first track from that album called Potter's Blues. Thank you. 
And then actually, yeah, also, yeah, if someone was trying to check out stuff that I, I really like would be that the classical mandolin trio stuff on archives.org. That's probably like, if I had to say, those two things I find really enjoyable, doing the twin fiddle stuff with Buddy, and uh, and then the classical mandolin stuff was really, really fun. But uh, but it's all fun, man. I just, yeah, I like, like music. Here's another live cut from archive.org of Pathétique. So you talk about longer solos. What's what's sort of when you're when you're in your mind, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to be soloing for several minutes here. Where where are you sort of trying to? How how are you making that different from shorter solos? What's your mindset on that? Yeah. So there's a. I mean, there's a couple things you can do. Like there's like I feel like a lot of it is just getting different like conceptual settings, kind of, and so different options. So like. Um, you know, um, 
um, like one thing you can kind of do is just like, um, you know, you could like slow down your thought process. Um, one thing you can do is like, um, create like, uh, create kind of, uh, uh, like, like, uh, frames or borders around like main ideas. Um, um, and then you can also, I like to use a lot of things like, uh, different types of like, uh, substructures. I just call it like architecture. So like taking like different, uh, forms and using that as like a template to kind of create ideas over. So I really, I really like uh, Sonata Lager form a lot. So like, I'll use that sometimes to create solos over and, uh, or different other kind of forms like, you know, theme and variation is a nice one to kind of, uh, develop different ideas. Um, and then a lot of times I'll do like the compound form thing where I might have like Sonata Lager as like my big form. And then in different sections of that put like, you know, okay, maybe the intro is like this strophic idea. And then when I get into the, the, main themes it's like uh um some type of song form you know when i get to the bridge maybe it's like a fantasy um maybe in like the um you know that kind of stuff so using like different type of forms to um kind of create ways of moving through the music and then like lately what i've been working on a lot is um basically a way of approaching improvising using like motifs perceptions textures contextualizations movement pathways and then the architecture so like i'll start with like a tune and then i'll just like pick a handful of motifs from it and then the first thing i do is after i pick the motifs i want i'll uh check out all the different perceptions of them so that could things like like just single perceptions so maybe it's just the contour of the motif or maybe just the rhythm of the motif or just the shape of the motif uh or maybe just like the phrasing of the motif and then start like if if it's like uh you know one of those things just checking out that part of it and then trying to just get general ideas and then get more abstract ideas that are all related to these single perceptions. Um, so then I understand a single motif with like multiple perceptions. So that gives you like more ideas to create from a single source. And then, uh, then I would add textualization to those perceptions. So now I would take those um, perceptions of the motif and add things like left-hand textures. So like ostinatos, pedals, sonic displacement, um, double stops, triple stops, or maybe take some uh, right-hand textures. So maybe like uh, ricochets or like string crossing, maybe like long notes or hold notes or like jabs, you know, like staccato notes, um, uh, or double shuffles, some type of, or maybe like some type of pattern in the slurs. Um, so put different left-hand textualizations, some right-hand textualizations, um, uh, put like different emotional textualizations. Like, is it like sad or is it like hopeful? So that, that can like subtly change it. Um, and, and then different physical textualizations. So that could be something like I have this thing I kind of work with called bow fields. And it's like you create these like it's like a 
kind of like a metaphysical way of like feeling the area that your bow encompasses. So things like that, or like where you're feeling the time is in the middle of the beat or of the beat, like how you feel a pulse through your body, um, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, or are you like moving a part of your body to create some type of, you know, musical response? Um, so yeah, different type of textualizations. And then the next kind of step I'll work on is called contextualization. So now you take these textualizations of the perceptions of a motif and now you give them context. Like how do they function? Like what's around them? So meaning like maybe that original motif now when I'm improvising is like a recurring theme. Like, you know, maybe it comes back every so often, or maybe it's like a repeating theme where it's just that motif, but I'm kind of developing it just over and over slightly different. Um, or maybe it's like, uh, I have like a thing, I work on like hinges. So I might take that motif and build different types of things off of each part of the motif. Um, different stuff like that, or I have a thing called interstate and exits where it's like, um, like you outline the main motif, but you do all this different stuff in between all the different parts of the motif, the different notes of it or whatever, different contour. Um, so yeah, giving it context, um, you know, are you building the motif from like a small part all the way up to the sum of it, you know, or are you just like fragmenting it and doing like a little of the motif here? So given, given the whole, uh, the context of the motif now, then the next part is um, is based on movement. So how you get from one motif to another motif. So there's things like metamorphosis, where like this motif slowly becomes this motif, or it could be like um, like uh, some type of like hinge, where it's like a motif, b motif, a motif, c motif, a motif, d motif. So like a kind of recurring hinge motif. Um, or it could be something like, what's up? You want to say hello? Hey. <laughs> All right. Hey, get out of here. Um, or, or it may be something like, uh, um, you know, di different ways of getting from one motif to another. And um, so then... Um, so, so yeah, so you basically, after you deal with the context of the motif, then you deal with the movement of getting from one to another. And then, uh, then the next step is called pathways. And that deals with, cause one of the other movements from, uh, from motif to motif deals with like the main motif as a foreground and something else as a background. So like the next step is called pathways. And I use that more like in, uh, more like as the backgrounds, and these are kind of like specific, almost textural, but specific uh, kind of uh, configurations of ideas. So I have one I like that's called like uh, low me high sewn dis. No, 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 low me high. Sorry, low me high ped sewn dis rep. And they're all just like sh shorthand words so I can remember them. But, um, but meaning like you start with this contour of like low, medium, high. So all the ideas are like low, medium, high, low, medium, high. Then the next idea is like a pedal point. So setting up a pedal with things above it. 
and it's, it gets a very different musical texture. Then the next thing is more linear, but with displacement. So you're playing lines, but you're sonically displacing maybe every couple measures by an octave or two octaves. So again, another really different musical texture. And then the last one is like repetitive notes to where it starts and everything, it kind of gets that sonic displacement really open things up. And then this repetitive thing, you know, is going to get skinnier because, uh, you know, you might be hitting the same note a number of times before you go to another note. So like different pathways, like that kind of another one I like is like, uh, where you start with like hold notes and everything's hold. And then you get into things that are synchronized. So like either melodies that are synchronized or rhythms that are synchronized. So all of a sudden you went from this real kind of like calm, serene to like now, like these things that are like, like building really quickly. Um, then the then that in that pathway the next one is jabs. So then I get into this thing where there's like these really like aggressive things with a lot of space and like really angular rhythms. And then the last one of that part is just more linear. So just getting into more noty stuff, more uh, just like you could say pure melodic, just like kind of run of thoughts. And um, so yeah, kind of have that pathways to like fill in between all these motifs. Because the whole idea of those like longer solos, you know, from what I've kind of learned is like the balance of repetition and change. So you have the things dealing with the motif, which are all repetition based somewhat because it's like, you know, developing the motif. And then um, and the things that are changed are like the pathways that take you on these other kind of like uh, like, you know, other kind of corridors for a minute. And then the last section basically deals with architecture. So what I would put the, all this stuff in, so whether it's like, uh, you know, the motifs with the pathways, and that's where you get into like, okay, am I kind of following a Sonata Allegra form, or am I doing more like theme and variation, or am I doing some type of like fantasy type of movement, you know, strophic movement, that kind of stuff. So um, that's what I've been having fun with kind of lately, and I feel like it relates well to... Um, uh, longer soloing i feel like a lot of it especially the pathways also relate well to shorter soloing and ideally when you're working on music i think you're working on stuff that like impacts everything better so like that's one thing i've noticed like when you're practicing when i'm practicing trying to like figure out ways that like just kind of uh impact like you know all the music you play like regardless of genre or um that kind of thing so uh, i think this the way i think the way i've been working on this it seems pretty helpful um definitely in longer solos but i think also in short too um because i do a lot of gigs i'll play some of the more instrumental ones it might be really long solos but then i also do a lot of gigs where it's like really short solos you know and um so and, and they can seem like despairingly different but I think, you know, um, for the sake of like unif unity, trying to find those uh, kind of uh, similarities between the, the long short, the long form soloing concepts and the short form soloing concepts. Um, and a lot of times it may be just something is, you know, finding some forms that work good for both of them. And um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of like one thing I've been working on lately um, that that I think helps the um, long forms because that way you know you kind of have these uh 
you know, forms you can follow, but you also have like uh, different ideas from the same sources. And uh, so, you know, trying to stay on point is like a little bit easy. All right. We just talked about long form solos. Here's one that Billy did on Tombstone Junction. This is from a live video shot in Nashville. Thank you. 
So what's the next step for you? What's uh, what's coming next? Man, next, uh, well, this year I've kind of, my road gig is pretty slow right now. I imagine that might pick up later this year. Um, and, and I teach college at Belmont. That's been pretty slow because of uh, the whole pandemic and stuff. So that could maybe pick up potentially this fall. Um, and then, yeah, I'd assume hopefully maybe live gigs. Some of the bands I really enjoyed playing with, you know, we hadn't played since last March. Um, so that'll be fun to kind of uh, get back playing with some of the bands I like playing with. And then hopefully sessions will pick up more. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I, yeah, I did that. I did my own gig for a couple of years and whew, man, it is, it's a lot of work, you know, having your own band, having your own music, all the stuff that goes into that. It's just, I got to say, man, you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, when it, when it kind of ended, you know, last March, it was like, man, it was like, it was just like flying after that. I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually like learn about whatever I'm interested in right now. Like, okay, I'm going to go try and work on this truck, you know? And, uh, it's like, you know, like when I was like the, what I did for my last three or four months when I played, there was a new band every week and a new set of music every week. So I, I was just crazy by the end of it. It was like writing new arrangements, like late into the night, calling people. And we would just, the whole thing with that was we'd all get there 30 minutes early, read through everything once and then perform it. And, you know, oh my like, goodness. for example, my, my second to last gig I did there, I'd written uh, uh, like uh, a set of tunes that went from like three to five to seven to nine to 11 to 13. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, and there's, like, a lot of chords in it and, you know, sometimes odd forms. And, uh, yeah, so it was, like, yeah, I'm, like, after that gig ended, I was, like, I don't know if I ever want to do my own gig again. And, uh, but but lately I've been, like, oh, I got this new set of tunes I've been working on. Maybe I would like to, like, you know, go play it. But, uh, yeah, but uh, but we'll see what happens, you know see what happens. And, uh, and then, yeah, mainly, you know, what's been fun for, for me this last year is just hanging out with my family with my wife, Amanda and our two kids, Mari and, and B and, uh, Beatrice. And, uh, and we're going to have another baby, uh, this summer and here in a month oh, or two. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So really, yeah, it's just been fun hanging out with them and not having a lot of like work pressure. I was working a lot before all the COVID hit. So I, I think one thing I learned from that is like, man, maybe I don't want to work that much, you know, missing out on, you know, other more important stuff. But, um, but yeah, so we'll see what happens, but mainly I'm just, yeah, trying to get better and trying to learn more about music and, uh, trying to write more tunes and write more arrangements and, uh, yeah. And, uh, just, yeah, enjoy life. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for doing this. This has been amazing. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for asking. This has been another episode of Rockstar Violinist. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tell all your friends. Have friends, tell everybody, whether you're a friend or not. Maybe they'll become your friend just because you turned them onto this podcast. 
And maybe you become best friends, you'll travel the world, you'll write a hit record, and you'll be a future guest on this podcast. What? Eh, whatever. All right. Let's enjoy a little bit of Squirrel Hunters and then call it a day.